surprisingly controversial. That is how I would characterize this morning's reading. Uh, And I actually did not know that in my study of this in seminary. And it wasn't actually until three years ago, uh, when I was a young man in my prime, first year here as pastor, uh, and we read this story together as a community for the first time. And I honestly, I forgot what I said. I went this week to look up what that sermon was. I couldn't find it anywhere. But all I know is that as I sat there in the receiving line, the people walking by me had some very strong opinions about the appropriateness of this woman's actions. And I see Kathleen nodding knowingly, uh, because she was certainly one of them, but she was not the only one. Uh, So I want to just put all the the cards out on the table, both for my sake and for yours, but primarily for my sake, uh, by a show of hands, if you believe that it was appropriate for this woman to anoint Jesus with this expensive bottle of perfume, this perfume that cost an entire year's wages... Please raise your hand. Show, make yourself known. Good. Okay. That's about 50%. Okay. Uh, if on the other hand, you think that it would have been better for that perfume to have been sold and the money given to the poor, please raise your hand. 50-50. Uh, and for, for those of you who are just politely waiting to see where I come out on this at the end of the sermon, uh, raise your hand. There's a couple of you. Okay. Good. Good. So the battle lines are clearly drawn, but there's something about this passage that engenders very strong feelings uh, on both sides of it. Uh, but what I want to, I'm not going to convince you of anything this morning, but what I, I want to suggest to you uh, this morning uh, is that, that what we have going on this pas- in this passage this morning uh, is just one more instance of Jesus' value Values not so much coming into conflict with our values uh, as they are coming into conflict with what we perceive to be Jesus' values. Uh, that is to say, there is the Jesus that we expect to find in the Scriptures, uh, and then there is the Jesus that we actually find in the Scriptures. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. Uh, so, for example, I think that most of us have in our heads this image of Jesus being a great man of the people, right? A man who would stop at a moment's notice to, to heal anyone that he came across, heal a leper, help a demon-possessed person, what have you. Jesus was a person, we think, who was constantly always on and always giving of himself to other people. And sure enough, you, you, if you read, we've been reading through Mark, and we see that in a lot of cases But then we also have the case of Mark chapter 4, if you remember that way back then. I think we read it in November. On Mark chapter 4, we hear about Jesus as he is preaching to a large crowd of people. It is a crowd so large, in fact, that he has to to stand in a boat offshore uh, just to be able to address everybody in front of him. And he's just finished uh, laying down a bunch of parables. So the parable of the sower... Uh, who cast seed on both good soil and on bad soil. Uh, the parable of the mustard seed, about the kingdom of heaven being like a t- the tiniest of seeds. And as he finished te- is, finishes teaching these parables, the crowd is excited and engaged, and his teaching is really resonating with them. And more and more people are getting added to this crowd, and they're yearning for more teaching. 
And Jesus, this great man of the people that we know him to be, what does he do? Yeah, he runs away from that crowd that has gathered to hear him teaching. Or more specifically, he boats away. He has his disciples set sail for the opposite shore and he leaves that crowd that gathered to hear him teach behind him. And that's not the only time he does that. On multiple occasions, he leaves the crowd behind to go seek out an isolated spot to be by himself and pray. So the Jesus that we expect to find in the scripture is a guy who is always on, is always serving other people. But the Jesus that we actually find in the scriptures is someone who was able to establish what we would call healthy boundaries. And when he needed to get away in order to restore himself spiritually, uh, he did not hesitate to do so. I think most of us also have this image in our head of Jesus as being this consummate feeder of people. Uh, so in the Gospel of Mark alone, right, there are, in chapter 6 and chapter 8, uh, there's two stories in which Jesus takes a few loaves of fish, or a few loaves of bread, rather, and a couple of fish, magically multiplies them, and ends up feeding thousands and thousands of people. In the first story, he feeds 5,000. In the second story, he feeds 4,000. Right? We think of Jesus as this great feeder of people, and indeed that image of him has inspired generations of Christians uh, to feed the hungry in their local community. If you pulled out your smartphone this instant and did a Google search, uh, you would, in fact, find hundreds of of soup kitchens and food pantries uh, in the U.S. alone that uh, go by the name of loaves and fishes uh, because they've been inspired by this exact image of Jesus. And for our part... We do a lot at this little church to feed our community, right? We, we make sandwiches for the homeless on second Sundays. Uh, we cook for the shortstop shelter a couple blocks down from us once a month. We have that micro food pantry out front that's serving people all week long. Side note, uh, this micro pantry has really taken off. Uh, the city has taken note, and they have built three of them themselves, and they're going to be installed on city properties all around. Uh, ten churches have got excited about this project too. They have them in front of their churches now. Uh, the one that's downstairs finally got approved of just this past week to be installed in front of the Columbus School. Uh, so, so even as we are seeking right to, to be inspired by this image of Jesus, the person who feeds, uh, we're inspiring others to do the same. And that is a good thing. That is a very good thing. That is just as it should be. But, but if we, we survey the whole of the scriptural record, I will also find this story in Luke 24. And this is a story that's not in the usual cycle of reading, so there's a good chance that a lot of people here have never even heard it before, but it's a great story, so you really should know it. Uh, and sorry to, 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 to give you some spoilers, but jump ahead in the narrative from where we are. And at this point in the story, in Luke 24, Jesus has been crucified and has just been resurrected. He's appeared to a couple of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, but not to all of the disciples yet. 
The rest of the disciples are holed up in the upper room in Jerusalem. They're consoling themselves as they're grieving the loss of their rabbi, the loss of their friends. And in that moment, in that dark moment where they're in the upper room consoling one another, poof, the resurrected Jesus appears before them. And the disciples are, are disbelieving for, for joy and amazement. That's how the, what the scripture says. They're disbelieving for joy and amazement. Their rabbi did not fail them. Jesus did not let them down. Here he is right before him, them. rather. And in this moment, this moment so pregnant with awe and mystery and wonder, Jesus looks at the faces of his disciples and he says unto them, do you got anything to eat? Jesus appeared. This is his first words to the disciples in the upper room. Do you have anything to eat? They hand him a piece of broiled fish and he eats it. The Jesus that we expect to find in Scripture is a Jesus who is always taking care of others. A Jesus who is always feeding other people. But if we take the whole witness of Scripture into account, we see that Jesus is also a person who asks for food and receives it. Jesus doesn't just give hospitality, but he receives it as well. That is the actual Jesus that we meet in the course of Scripture. And then we have this morning's controversial, controversial passage. And the Jesus that, that I think that most of us expect to meet in this passage uh, is a Jesus that is radically aligned with the poor. Right? A, a Jesus who, who rejects all worldly comfort. A Jesus who is taken aback by the extravagance of this gift that this woman wants to give him. Uh, a Jesus, maybe, who even gives this woman a, a high-minded talking to about the need to reprioritize her life and better use her resources uh, to help those around her. But that is not the Jesus we actually find in today's story. The Jesus we find in today's story gladly receives that lavish gift this woman gives to him, this gift of perfume that costs a year's wages. And then when the disciples go to criticize her, he stands up in her defense. That is the Jesus we meet in today's scripture. And friends, i got to tell you, I'm kind of glad uh, that we get to meet this Jesus today. And I say that because uh, there is this unique way of thinking uh, in American Christianity. Uh, this unique way of thinking where we, we think that in order to follow Jesus, in order to be like Jesus, in order to be good disciples, we need to work and work, and work, and work, and work, and give, and give, and give, and give, and give, until we're completely empty. 
until we've essentially poured out our life essence into all those around us and there is nothing left inside. And we take a step back for for just a moment and take a historical view uh, of where this comes from. Uh, We realize that this idea, this way of following Jesus and practicing discipleship comes to us directly uh, from the pilgrims and shortly thereafter the Puritans who, who colonized the states or I guess... Massachusetts. So uh, you probably know from grade school, of course, that that the Pilgrims and the Puritans, they were super religious folks. By today's standards, we would probably call them religious fanatics. Uh, But indeed, they were were Christians, uh, and they had a very strong belief in the doctrine of double predestination. Sounds scary, because it is. Double predestination. Uh, which is this idea that, that before you were born, uh, in fact, from, from the very beginning of eternity, if there is a beginning to uh, eternity, uh, God has destined each of us either to go to heaven or to go to hell. That's why it's double predestination. God preordains you to go to one of those two locations, and there was nothing you could do in your life to change that. However, what the pilgrims and and the Puritans believed uh, was that good works were a sign that you were destined for heaven. And so these pilgrims and these Puritans would work and work and work and work and work and give and give and give and give and give until there was nothing left inside in the hopes that their doing so was a sign that they were destined for heaven. If you've ever heard that phrase, uh, a Protestant work ethic, that is where it comes from. That's the behavior uh, that it is referring to. But thanks be to God, that is not how Jesus himself actually lived his life. Right? In the scriptures, we, yes, we see a Jesus who, who works and gives and serves others, but we also see a Jesus who takes time to rest and replenish his spiritual resources. Yes, we see a Jesus who, who feeds other people, who cares for other people's bodily needs, but we also see a Jesus who does not hesitate to ask for food when he himself is hungry. And then in today's passage, after three long years of grueling ministry, walking hundreds of miles with his disciples in, no offense, but what amounts to a desert wasteland, right? it wasn't a nice place to be walking around, and he wasn't under constant surveillance and attack from the religious authorities. After three years of that ministry, that grueling ministry, This good gift, lavish though it was, is given to him. And Jesus does not hesitate to receive that gift. Maybe you've heard heard that saying that all truth is God's truth. And I think in the same way, all goodness is God's goodness. And when a good thing comes our way, be that good thing 
your dream Hawaiian vacation that you've been saving up for for a decade and you finally get to go on, or whether that good thing is that expensive bottle of wine you splurged on because newsflash, expensive wine tastes better than cheap wine. And I say that as a big proponent of two buck, Chuck. Uh, but, but when good things come your way, there, there's, Jesus' call, the call of discipleship, isn't to deny it for the sake of self-denial, but it is to receive that good thing, to give thanks to God for it. Because even in small good things, the goodness of even small things, we learn something of the goodness of God. Friends, that is not just what Jesus would do. That is what Jesus actually did. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.